0: Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London. Let's start the show.
1: I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and I'm joined today by my lovely, intelligent co-host, Adrian Borey. How are you today, Adrian?
2: I'm pretty good. How are you?
1: Alive, alive and kicking in a good way, I guess. Um. <laughs> anyway. Today, we're joined by a prospective new Gradcast member, actually. And this is, uh, I think, her first time on live radio. So, welcome, uh, Tanya Nagpal, second year master's in kinesiology student. How are you today?
3: Good, thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. So, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what you do? Mm-hmm. Um, what research you're doing for your master's
3: all right so um i am my in my second year of my master's in kinesiology so that's in the faculty of health science at western um and specifically my research is being done in the exercise and pregnancy laboratory um and what's unique about the exercise and pregnancy laboratory it's actually the only one in north america so western's lucky in that way and of course the focus is exactly what it is um exercising during pregnancy to have a healthy pregnancy to have healthy babies so my research specifically is looking at nutrition and exercise behaviors during pregnancy and how this prevents excessive gestational weight gain Um, specifically going into more detail it's looking at comparing adherence to nutrition and exercise behavior changes between normal weight women overweight women and obese women to see um how much adherence is necessary to nutrition and exercise changes to assure that you gain the correct amount of weight during pregnancy and to prevent gaining too much. Um, And the main reason behind this is gaining excessively during pregnancy is um, positively associated with a whole list of chronic diseases, including type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, obesity being one of the big ones for both the mom and the offspring. But research has shown us that in nutrition and exercise, it's great, but for some reason it doesn't always work as well in overweight and obese women. So what my research is doing is instead of questioning nutrition and exercise, I'm questioning maybe the way women adhere to exercise and nutrition is different, therefore giving us different results.
1: So I guess to start things off, what is the correct amount of weight? Like what would that be from mm-hmm. person to person, I guess?
3: Um, so based on the Institute of Medicine guidelines, um, it is dependent on your pre-pregnancy BMI. So interestingly, the bigger your BMI, the greater your BMI is, the less amount you're supposed to gain during pregnancy. So normal weight women can gain um, about 16 kilograms during pregnancy. Overweight women gain about 11.5 and obese women can gain about nine kilograms. Um, So it does vary, but of course, it also varies on, again, your eating habits and your exercise habits during pregnancy and your exercise and eating habits before pregnancy.
1: So you said that they can gain that much. Is that like just the average of how much is gained? That's the um,
3: recommended maximum.
1: Recommended maximum. Okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me then. All right, so I guess um, you're looking at adherence to um, proper nutrition and Mm -hmm. and some exercise. How are you looking at this adherence? Like how are you uh, getting a feel for whether people are doing what they're told or not?
3: Yep, so um, in our lab, A few years ago, the Nutrition and Exercise Lifestyle Intervention Program was developed, or NULIP, and um, it's been listed as best practice since then. So what the NULIP entailed was it recommended for women, for their diet, to follow a gestational diabetic diet, which is basically eating smaller meals, healthier meals throughout the day. And this is about 1,800 kilocalories per day and 200 grams of carbohydrates. Um, and the exercise component was to try to have at least three times a week where you go to take a nice walk um, for at least 40 minutes. So on the program itself, the women started with walking about 25 minutes. And gradually, as they um, continued on the program, they eventually achieved 40 minutes. So that's the the And my piece is coming in retrospectively to look at adherence. Um, And what I basically did was I created an adherence measurement tool. Um, So I'm taking the NELIP data and I'm scoring the women on how they met the goals of the NELIP. So each week going through their folders to see um, did they meet the 1,800 kilocalories mark? Did they meet the 200 to 250 grams mark? Did they even track their food that week? And same for the exercise. Did they walk three times? And then what I'm doing is giving them a score out of six. So six goals of NELIP, six points of adherence, and seeing two things. One, is there a difference between the women who gained excessively and appropriately? And two, is there a difference between the way normal weight, overweight, and obese women followed this program? Um, so based on those... Currently, we didn't see a statistical significance in the difference of adherence, but what we did see is that there's a huge difference in the amount of weight gained between the women who gained excessively and the women who gained appropriately. So where this project is now going is we want to figure out what other factors could have contributed to this weight gain result, basically.
2: That's so interesting. So when these women are recording their exercise and their calories um, are they using an app or something like that? I know that there's a lot of nutrition apps available nowadays. Or was this sort of in the past, just before apps were available?
3: Or In this situation, it was. So um, they, um, I'm sure there were apps, but not for this study. Um, so they were recording food intake records, just a 24-hour recall to give us a general idea of what they ate for their, their, that week. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, the key thing to remember is it's really important during any sort of behavior change to track your behaviors, not only for the investigator to actually go ahead and research, but just research has also shown when you're trying to achieve a sort some sort of goal, writing it down and tracking yourself is going to ideally improve your behavior. Um, and it's interesting that you asked that because, as I mentioned, my research is now going to try to figure out what else could have potentially caused the difference in weight gain. And one of the things I'm hoping to look at is um, really... Looking at the difference between the women who actually came into the laboratory for their face-to-face visits and versus women who maybe said they walked on their own, but we don't really know if they walked or not, to see is is that why my data is showing there's no difference in adherence. Or another thing to look at is... um, women who you know they recorded their food intake record and they told me you know they ate this many calories but then there were women who submitted all seven at one time rather than giving it on a weekly basis so maybe they weren't tracking it as well so really trying to tease out what's causing the difference in in weight gain and hopefully once we can tease it out retrospectively we can give it a shot prospectively to see how it goes
2: Yeah, I think that would be really interesting because um, I know I downloaded one of those apps for your food and I thought I was eating fairly healthy. But when you start recording everything that you put in your mouth, you're like, oh, wow, I eat a lot of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm eating way more calories than I probably should. And there's a lot more sugars and things that I'm that I'm eating then I, right. then, then the night than what's recommended, right? Exactly. So, um, it, it would be interesting in a prospective study to see if 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 that if that um, if an app or something that where they can actually like my actually scans like if you have a barcode, mm-hmm. it can scan the food and it will put it in for yep. you like all the parameters of the food. So
3: yeah, 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 definitely. I think in once my retrospective results, if I can hopefully understand um, what the difference in adherences, I think in a prospective setting you can then make the effort when designing the study to assure you can improve adherence Mm -hmm. so assuring that you know if i know that overweight women or obese women struggled with this aspect of the study now i can prepare myself to assure that they meet those goals which is kind of the plus of doing it retrospectively first but that's great yeah
1: so you mentioned that there there was no difference really i guess in adherence but Mm -hmm. that there was a, a huge difference in the weight gained between people who uh gained like a healthy weight and people who who gained excessively right, right. what was the i guess difference in the average weight gain between those two groups
3: um so i'm not don't remember off the top of my head but um the women who gained appropriately again it, it varied so i should say that according to the institute of medicine guidelines i gave you the maximums but for every single woman in their first trimester they're expected to gain two kilograms so the real weight gain really happens in your second and third trimester um so, a lot of these women, though, that started the program, they may have gained more than two kilograms once they started, or maybe they didn't gain as much, so that also gives a trajectory of how much they're going to gain in their second and third trimester as well. So, in terms of what was the exact number between the two i i don't i don't recall exact number, but I can say it was in terms of effect size, it was a huge effect size, about zero point six seven um so it really does show that excessive and adequately there was a difference but the more interesting thing is that there was a difference but there was no difference in adherence so they did the exact same thing but got different results so what caused that difference in results
1: hmm. um have you looked at whether or not there were other like demographic differences like age like, differences so that's, that's, or that's, what child it was first third
3: yeah child so that's or exactly what the next step is for the research so um, in terms of and yeah so you're right ahead of it um, so what we're hoping to do there's three three planned studies to tease this out. The first, as I mentioned, is going to be the face-to-face time. So like I said, there were three exercise goals. You come into the lab for one of them and walk with the investigators. The other two times, you walk on your own. Um, A lot of women, though, they said can I just come into lab for all three? And what this does, at least what I think it potentially did, was it made them more accountable to actually make sure they walked. As well, they actually met the 40-minute requirement because they were in the lab. So whether they met that 40 minutes when they were at home, we don't know. That's one thing to investigate, the difference between those who had more face-to-face time, difference between the ones that did not. The other thing to investigate is weight fluctuations before you became pregnant. So a lot of research is in support of the fact that Um, before you become pregnant, you should have a healthy body weight. And what this means is if you're someone who maybe has an unhealthy body weight and you lost a lot of weight before pregnancy, we have no idea what that does to you while you're pregnant. So I would be curious to look at um, what weight fluctuations occurred in the women and was there a specific weight fluctuation in the women who continued to gain excessively on pregnancy versus the ones who gained appropriately. Um, So a lot of research will say that you know if you lose weight before pregnancy, you're less likely to have a large for gestational age baby Um, but then a lot of studies say that if you lose a lot of weight before pregnancy then your baby is going to be small for gestational age so it's it's inconsistencies and at least to my knowledge there what there isn't much research saying what happens specifically during pregnancy so not just to your baby and the final um approach that we're looking to take is to look at the degree of change um so this isn't just for pregnancy interventions but interventions at large um when you're put onto a lifestyle intervention, there are specific goals you have to meet. Those goals are created with, with, like everyone's assumed to meet is assuming you're hoping they'll meet those goals. What they did before that, you have no idea. So it's quite possible that the degree of change wasn't enough to give you a difference. So for example, if you were doing an exercise program and you had these, the people come into your exercise program to walk for three times, but before pregnancy, they were already walking three times. You've really not created any difference, but maybe there was someone who was completely sedentary and now they're walking. You've created some sort of a difference that's going to impact their body. So, I want to look at what is the degree of change necessary to prevent excessive gestational waking.
1: So, from that exact, like those two exact examples that you just gave one person who was, I guess, moderately active, we'll call them, and another person who is completely sedentary Um, if they were just to maintain the same level of activity that they had before, would they be expected to roughly gain the same amount during pregnancy? if they just maintained exactly what they were doing? Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I mean, you can't really say, right? I mean, especially for the woman who, so during pregnancy, it's encouraged for everyone to get active, regardless of whether you were sedentary before or you were an Olympic athlete before. Um, It's recommended for everyone. The degree of activity, though, that you have to take into account. So if you were someone who was sedentary, pregnancy is not the right time to decide to train for a marathon or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you were an Olympic athlete, pregnancy is not the time to just sit on the couch. so it's, it's a time to make healthy decisions. So whether they would gain the same amount based on their behaviors beforehand or not, you can't really say, cause that would be different per individual, but what you can generalize to everyone that preg- you are allowed to be physically active during pregnancy, which is a stereotype for many, many years and was, you know, once you're pregnant, feet up on the couch, you're not supposed to do anything. Um, but we know now that you should be exercising and a funny quote that i'll share from my supervisor is she always says she has no idea who created the pregnancy parking spot because right up again <laughs> up close to the grocery store and she's always like they should move that spot to the very back because you should be walking during your pregnancy if you are able to. Um, so I say that because, of course, there there might be some situations where you aren't supposed to be exercising, and that's really important to get screened by your doctor to assure you can exercise. But if you've got a normal pregnancy, regardless of your pre-pregnancy BMI, you can walk. Like That's still something to do, right?
1: Have there been any studies that have looked at physical activity of, of pregnant mothers and then the outcome for the baby um, itself? So you mentioned that Uh, excessive weight gain can cause increased type 2 diabetes for probably the mother. Um, What's the outcome there for the baby? And then what would be the outcome as well for um, a healthy amount of exercise, not excessive, um, for the baby as well?
3: Yep. So actually it's for both mother and offspring. So if excessive gestational weight gain has shown a positive association with early onset of type 2 diabetes for the offspring as well. Um, Wow. Yeah. So there's quite a few studies showing... At in just in the youth age group you can develop diabetes had your had your mother gained excessively during pregnancy there's an increase of potential cardiovascular diseases um, there is an increase in obesity um, and then of course obesity itself has other implications during health so like qu- health sorry quality of life um, development of again type 2 diabetes chronic diseases and um, all sorts of other issues associated with just obesity so it's a lot of research has shown that gaining appropriately during pregnancy is very, very important. Gaining excessively has both negative implications for both the mom and and the offspring. Um, Gaining appropriately during pregnancy is the exact opposite. You're preventing those diseases or reducing your risk of those diseases. Especially for the mom, gaining appropriately during pregnancy reduces your risk of developing gestational diabetes. Um, It reduces your your, sorry, it improves your quality of life during pregnancy and after pregnancy as well. And same thing for your baby.
1: So I've heard of, like, pregnant mom fitness sessions Mm -hmm. and and places you can go to exercise with other pregnant moms, and that's probably serving largely a social function. But um, have any of these, are you aware of them that have have maybe been tailored toward um, healthy weight gain or maintaining healthy weight Mm -hmm. during pregnancy?
3: Yeah, so there's there's quite a few in London, um, but... Prenatal exercises as well as postpartum exercises are really important. Like you said, yes, it includes a social element, but it also postpartum exercises specifically that involve the baby. It takes into account that we acknowledge after pregnancy, your time has changed. So you you are dedicated to this new baby. Um, If you have more kids, your time is even more scarce. So no one is ever expecting that, you know. You've had this baby, all right, get get going to the gym. No one's ever expecting anything like that. So these types of programs are great because they a lot of times they include the baby as well. Um, and in terms of weight, any type of exercise is going to help you control your weight, um, whether you drop to your pre-pregnancy size or you gradually get there, that's really dependent on your own body. But the most important thing you can do is try to stay active. Um, And these types of programs, both postpartum and prenatal programs, just that's their main goal. They're trying to promote staying physically active during pregnancy because beyond weight gain, there's so many other benefits you get from staying physically active, including quality of life. And that's um, something that happens even without pregnancy.
1: Okay. Um, So... Is Are these types of fitness sessions something that might help improve accountability and adherence then to these schedules because for like for a lot of people they do need some kind of incentive to get mm-hmm. to the gym active um, I shouldn't say get to the gym because we we're just talking about the fact that <laughs> going for a forty minute walk is is enough, so forget the gym mm-hmm. don't forget the gym, but
3: yeah, you know <laughs>
1: anyway, um is this something that could help with with that, and is there any evidence that for people, even in your study or future studies, that this might improve adherence to mm-hmm. to the goals
3: um, I think accountability in general would probably increase if you are um, if you are committed to attending a fitness class. Um, it's also a few studies looking at just enjoyability. When people enjoy classes that they uh, enjoy classes that they go to, then um, they're more likely to keep going. So maybe if you're able to build that social atmosphere with your with other moms that are attending or other family members that are attending, you're more likely to do it. Um, a lot of studies have shown that if, uh, for example, when I read just today actually that a 24 session exercise. Um, exercise program, women that came to less than 19 of those sessions, they reported uh, they reported less quality of life, less enjoyment than the women who came to all of them. So it really does make a difference in, in attendance, and attendance really will affect your adherence to the program, and adherence therefore, in my research at least, shows that it does have an effect on your weight gain.
1: Okay. So I guess my next question is, I'm a guy. <laughs> um, is there any evidence that that I guess the relationship dynamic or partner support mm-hmm. has had any effect on this yeah. Um, yeah
3: you're just jumping in on all my future projects today um, so another thing that um, we're hoping to do we have the, so the Nellup that I mentioned was actually done a second time and this time it was with a family-based component so it included your partners and it included um, any any support systems that you wanted to include basically um, and so what we wanted to do next is again retrospectively take a look at did adherence scores improve once you include a partner um so in terms of partner involvement, a lot of even the programs that we're talking about in London, they have gone beyond to include a partner as well. Um, and that's because, you know, pregnancy is something that it, it's a family event for a lot of people. It includes more than just the pregnant woman. So including the family is a great way to assure that they're, they're a part of your health behavior change. And again, going back to meeting behavior change goals, another um, great tip for achieving goals is to let people know who are very involved in your life what your goal is. So they can help you in achieving that goal. So if your goal was to, you know, I want to eat a certain diet, hopefully your partner is helping you achieve that goal and not, you know, bringing you things that you didn't include in your diet plan. Um, and and I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Pregnancy is a great time to intervene with any sort of behavior change because if you think about it, you know, the woman is motivated to make a make a difference. Um, at this, so if you're able to intervene with an exercise and nutrition program during pregnancy, it's a great health promotion perspective to help the woman um build a type of build a type of uh lifestyle that is going to promote health for her for her offspring and getting the family involved you might be able to improve their health habits as well so it becomes a full family intervention
1: well now you're jumping ahead of me because i was (laughs) going to ask about you know pregnancy fitness classes and whether or not there was like whole family variants of that so no that's that's really awesome and i i I guess my vision of the world is that you know family unit is mm-hmm. something that is is important to see. So, okay, so
0: so not necessary though. Pardon? I going to say like you know don't uh, don't turn down the single mother families. They've had some really great they, they're great things too. But then they are a family unit. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, no, it it doesn't it's not necessarily
2: one, it's just a nuclear whole family. thing as yeah. a unit,
0: right?
1: Like yeah. one
3: grandparents,
1: yeah.
2: cousins,
3: yeah. friends, like all included in that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, like, thank you for bringing that up. So exercise um, e- exercise for, like, especially in the lab, these are things that we're, we're telling the woman that she can do on her own time um, at her own pace. So like I said, the 40 minutes is a goal that you gradually get up to. If it takes you 10 weeks to do it, 30 weeks to do it, that's fine. The point is you're making healthy decision choices. Um, and in terms of partner involvement, um, that doesn't necessarily mean um, – It has to be in a romantic relationship. It's just partner involvement. You know, who's who's someone that is in your life as a support system? If there's someone that you're not identifying as a support system, a great thing about being a part of interventions in a lab setting or in the community, that is your support system. So I think during pregnancy, everyone has someone... um, who that someone is, it varies, but there is there is always someone there to help you get active. And if you're in London and listening and you want to find someone, Exercise and Pregnancy Lab, you can look it up on the Western website. Um, we welcome in the lab, not necessarily if, even if you're not involved in a study, but you just have questions about getting active or eating right. There's always someone there to answer.
1: So does the Exercise and Pregnancy Lab then organize like group fitness sessions at all for... The general community?
3: So, the laboratory is focused more so on research initiatives, but we are very well connected to the Middlesex London Health Unit, who and they do organize a lot of prenatal and postnatal classes as well. Um, within the community, there's lots of classes that go on, for example, at Yoga Shack or other, other places. What the lab has specifically, specifically my supervisor, Dr. Michelle Matola, she developed the ParMedX for pregnancy, um, which is a great resource tool that basically it screens you with your. Physician to assure that you are are in the correct state to get physically active during pregnancy.
0: Is there a point in the pregnancy that's like too late to make an intervention, or is really can happen at any time?
3: Uh, definitely, there's never too late, and that goes well beyond pregnancy. Um, to make a healthy lifestyle decision, it's recommended at any point. So, it, and whether you know you're pregnant and you want to make a change, you're an older adult you want to make a change. Ex- research has shown whenever you start exercising, there will be a positive benefit.
1: And the program that you just mentioned that was called the ParMedx program?
3: So it's not a program. It's actually a screening tool. So the ParMedx. Screening tool, sorry. ParMedx for pregnancy. And it's recommended um, just to taking health precautions, going to meet your uh, healthcare provider to assure. It's it's a screening tool that just kind of goes through a a series of questions to assure that um, you're not at risk for something like preeclampsia or any other uh, negative implications during pregnancy and to assure that you are able to exercise.
1: Okay. Um, So I guess what are are your plans? I guess we only have a couple of minutes left, so I think it's probably going to be my last question. But Mm -hmm. what are your plans moving forward after your master's? Uh, Are you going to use the research that you've done here to to go to do onward in further academia or Mm -hmm. what is the plan?
3: My plan is to continue to do my PhD. So I'm here for a number of years to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So the studies that I mentioned, that is my next plan. So those are hopefully the studies that I hope to do uh, prospectively. And then I hope to take all of my learnings from these these retrospective results and um, use them in a prospective setting to hopefully create an adherence tool that can track um, exercise and nutrition behaviors during a lifestyle intervention for pregnant women, and hopefully um, create a method to actually report adherence to an intervention.
1: Okay, well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. I'm actually ending on time today, so Tristan's happy.
0: No, I actually like have a planned about about around you uh, not finishing on time, so I have, we have a little tiny bit of time, but not much. So okay. you can have an extended <laughs> goodbye. But thank you very much, Tanya, thank for you. coming on, and uh, of course. Um, GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. We go every single week, not just on the radio. So if you want to check out our podcast that shows all the radio shows that you missed, and of course all the podcasts that don't make it onto the radio, you can go to gradcastradio.ca. It'll be free forever. and It'll be a fun experience for you. And of course, if you're a grad student who wants to come on, or if you're a listener who wants to give us your comments, gradcastradio at gmail.com. It's the place. We answer. We're listening. Now, you guys have a wonderful week. Peace. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.